0: Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com.
1: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nuji Dean. Today is Thursday, November 30th. Coming up, this fall, Kansas City renewed its contract for a series of devices designed to alert police to gunshots immediately after they happen. We'll hear why police say the shot spotter technology is useful, but critics say it's ineffective. Plus, former Kansas City Mayor Richard Berkley has died at the age of 92. One of his most memorable acts was his quick response to the walkway collapse at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in 1981. He swiftly moved into action. He was quick to assign different responsibilities to staff people, council members, and so on. We'll remember Berkley. But first, some headlines. The Black Student Solidarity Network is planning a protest today after a video published by the Casey Defender showed a white male student hurling racial slurs and punching a black student in the face at Shawnee Mission East High School. KCUR's Lawrence Brooks IV reports it's the second protest this week.
0: The Kansas City Star reported that students said the girl suffered a broken nose and was sent to the hospital. The White male student has been charged with felony aggravated battery for his actions. He was charged for the same crime back in June. The Thursday protest is scheduled for 5 30 p.m. at Shawnee Mr. School District Center for Academic Achievement on 71st Street.
1: The Jackson County Legislature is reviewing the budgets for the county departments responsible for this summer's controversial property assessments. KCUR's Salisa Kolakal has more. The Board
2: of Equalization and Assessment Departments handle property valuations, which increased by 40 percent on average this year. Jackson County Administrator Troy Schulte said employee pay is low compared to other counties.
0: And that's one of the issues of keeping up with that market and trying to keep a qualified appraisal staff is going to be one of those issues we're going to have to wrestle with.
2: County officials recommend more money for assessments and slightly less money for the Board of Equalization. We'll be back
1: after this. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org radioactive. Since 2012, Kansas City has paid for a program called ShotSpotter, which places devices around the city that alert police when gunshot sounds are heard. A new study has found ShotSpotter doesn't increase the number of gun-related crimes that are prosecuted. But in September, Kansas City renewed its contract with the maker of ShotSpotter for another year. KCUR's Peggy Lowe covers law enforcement. She told me why the Kansas City police like ShotSpotter and why the technology is controversial. So, what is
2: ShotSpotter and how does it work? ShotSpotter is what is called a gunshot detection system. So, it's like an audio surveillance technology. Um, this company puts their basically their microphones um, all over this. It's about a three square mile. Uh, area in Kansas City, so obviously they can hear um, the gunshots going off. The audio sensors are placed in strategic areas, typically on rooftops, utility poles. Um, so they detect that gunfire, that big pop. They locate the area, then they send what's called real-time data to police. Police can get this um, on smartwatches, on on their tablets within their cruisers. Uh, it's a pretty high-tech system.
1: So where are these devices located?
2: Well, that's a big secret. (laughs) The company won't tell us, nor will the police tell us. I'm not quite sure of their reasons why. I know we know the, you know, general area. It's on the east side, kind of north east side of town here in Kansas City. Uh, But we're not quite sure where all of them are. It's a secret. How
1: long has Kansas City been
2: using this program? So it was really kind of interesting. The program started in 2012. Uh, uh, The city got a grant from the feds. Uh, for the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority. Apparently, there'd been a lot of crime on uh, some of the bus routes, uh, including Troost Max. That's a really popular route. Um, So part of the money went for new lighting, uh, glass on top of the bus shelters, and to get this shot spotter. So uh, KCTA had it uh, up until 2017 when then the police department took it over. How well does ShotSpotter work? Well, that's the million-dollar question. You know, there's a lot of criticism of the program for a number of reasons, including the fact that um, it sends these negative reports out. It could be backfire from a car, for instance. Um, It could be some other sound that is really strong and sounds like gunfire. Um, that said, you know, the the company says that's not true, that they use this very high-tech acoustic surveillance technology, but many people criticize it uh, for the false... You know, positives that come in. They also criticize it for uh, civil liberties. You know, it feels like it's kind of a surveillance system within certain neighborhoods, and these neighborhoods tend to be, you know, minority neighborhoods. Um, They also suggest that when when officers get these texts and these. Signals from ShotSpotter that they, they rush into a certain area and they rush in, you know, guns a-blazing kind of thing, you know, that they, they rush in thinking they're going to be attacked and or they are going to attack. What are some of the benefits of using ShotSpotter? The Kansas City Police Department is still very pro ShotSpotter, spotter. And they say the evidence is kind of anecdotal, though that said, in the new study that came out, he backed up some of the benefits that are found. For instance, they say um, cops get to a scene more quickly. They say that um, you can't rely just on the public to call 911 when there is gunfire. So it's a much more accurate uh, reading of how much gunfire is coming in. They say uh, ShotSpotter also helps with investigative leads and more contacts with citizens. And the study did find that officers stay in the area longer when they've been called there by ShotSpotter.
1: What is the future of ShotSpotter in Kansas City?
2: The future of ShotSpotter in Kansas City, I think, is dicey, (laughs) meaning um, there was really an ambiguity proposed by the um, police board at the latest public meeting. Um, The uh, researcher of this study got up and he gave all of his findings and he basically said it doesn't help, you know, with uh, it doesn't help combat violent crime. And the uh, board chair, her name is Kathy Dean, she said to him, if it was up to you, would you uh, spend this $200,000 to buy it this year? And he didn't say anything. And then everybody laughed. And so it was kind of a, should we or should we not approve this? They did, though that said, one of the commissioners also suggested that perhaps they could use this money to um, increase officers' salaries. So Um, You know, they only did a one-year approval this year, and they usually do two-year approval on contracts. So I think it's a little dicey moving forward for ShotSpotter.
1: So how long will this new contract
2: last? This will last till September of next year. So as the PIOs at KCPD say to me, you know, in the meantime, we got it. We're going to use it. We like it. Um, And we hope to take all these benefits from it. But this will once again be up for grabs next September.
1: And how much has ShotSpotter cost the city over time?
2: So the city took over uh, the funding of it. It has so far spent about $1.3 million on this because that federal grant ran out. So um, it's not a terrible amount of money given city budgets, but certainly in a tight budget um, with a department that is trying to recruit and retain more officers, that $1.3 million could be used for that.
1: And let's just remind our listeners, Kansas City's police department is kind of unique among big city police departments in the U.S., right?
2: That's right. I mean, I like to bring that up as often as I can because we are the only U.S. city of any size that has um, state-controlled police department. And that is a vestige of the Civil War. You know, um, St. Louis was two up to a few years ago, and they voted to break from that. And so a board appointed by Governor Mike Parson now um, runs our local police department, and a lot of locals don't like that. And they feel like that state control by a Republican majority doesn't really reflect Kansas City.
1: That was KCUR's Peggy Lowe. Richard L. Berkeley, who served an unprecedented 12 years as the 50th mayor of Kansas City, died yesterday. He was 92. KCUR contributor Dan Margulies has this look back at Berkeley's career.
0: Berkeley was mayor of Kansas City from 1979 to 1991, the only mayor in the city's history to serve three terms. He was the first Jewish mayor of Kansas City, although he rarely talked about his Jewish background and the first Republican since Albert Beach in 1924. Berkeley was a consensus builder who was more inclined to compromise than fight. He always said he liked meeting people, and he met with countless people, other politicians, entertainment celebrities, sports stars, or just average Joes. A shutterbug before the age of the selfie, he liked to snap pictures of people he met and then send them the photos with a personal note penned on the back. His tenure was largely scandal-free, that was no small achievement in a city that to this day remains associated with the corrupt Pendergast machine of the 1920s and 30s.
1: Dick Berkeley was a perfect image setter and a consummate leader with respect to
0: neighborhood issues and constantly stayed in touch with all aspects of uh, city government. That's Jerry Riffle, who was elected to replace Berkeley on the city council's fourth district seat in 1979, the year Berkeley was first elected. Berkeley probably set the record for attendance at ribbon-cutting ceremonies and rubber chicken dinners. When asked to appear at a neighborhood meeting, he'd usually oblige. He was not embarrassed to wear his love of the city on his sleeve, and even his critics acknowledged he worked extraordinarily hard. Here's Berkeley in a KCUR interview in the 1980s. I, w- I would say my daily uh, uh, schedule works out that I'm up almost always by six o'clock in the mornings, and I seldom get to bed before midnight, uh, usually around 12:30 or one. And virtually every evening, uh, Sandy and I spend it, at some type of a dinner or a neighborhood meeting or whatever. Although downtown remained a ghost town after business hours during his years as mayor. Taxpayers did approve $1.3 billion in capital improvements in the last three years of his tenure. The money paid for expansion of Bartle Hall and the Zoo, Brush Creek flood control and beautification, the Jazz Hall of Fame, and other projects. Major developments on Quality Hill and in the River Market area began to sprout on the edges of downtown. During his first term, Berkeley contended with a couple of firefighter strikes, the collapse of the roof of Kemper Arena after a snowstorm, And one of the greatest tragedies in the city's history, the collapse of the skywalks at the Hyatt Regency Hotel on July 17, 1981. The disaster left 114 people dead. Berkeley and his wife Sandy were throwing a party at their home when they got word of an accident at the hotel. They raced to the scene where the carnage they witnessed would haunt them for years to come. The Kansas City Star described Berkeley as weeping the next day in an emergency session of the city council. Nearly alone among members of the council, he demanded a federal investigation and denounced the removal of evidence from the scene. Charles Wheeler, Berkeley's predecessor as mayor, says Berkeley showed real leadership during that very dark time. saw that the
1: investigations went well. He did that
0: very efficiently. Before defeating fellow city councilman Bruce R. Watkins, then vying to become Kansas City's first black mayor, Berkeley served on the city council for 10 years. He was mayor pro tem from 1971 to 79 when Wheeler was mayor. Here's Wheeler again in a July 2019 interview with KCUR. It worked out
2: because I like Berkeley as a Republican. And let him handle the legislature and I handle the administration
1: and sign the bills to make the
0: laws. In today's hyperpartisan age, that sounds quaint, but Berkeley achieved a level of popularity among voters rarely reached by politicians, let alone one with combined public service of twenty two years, Jerry Riffle. Yet Berkeley was as ethical and honest a human being as I've known in my life. Even his critics never disputed Berkeley's decency and probity, and that may be his most enduring legacy. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Dan Margulies.
1: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Dean. This podcast is produced by Anna Schmidt, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Peggy's story about shot spotter in Kansas City and our obituary for Richard Berkeley, visit KCUR.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.
2: Hollywood writers are obsessed with the concept of an asteroid heading towards Earth and destroying
1: civilization. But is this something we really should be worried about? I'm Kate the Chemist, and on my podcast, Seeking a Scientist, we meet the mastermind behind a real-life mission to divert the path of an asteroid. Subscribe to Seeking a Scientist, made possible by the Sars Institute.